Okay, welcome to episode one of the Bolt from the Blue podcast. This is a brand new Manchester City podcast, stretching from here in South Korea, right over to the heart of Manchester in England. I'm Mike Long, aka Bolt from the Blue, and due to the miracle of modern technology, I'm joined by none other than Walter Smith. Hey, Walter, how's it going? Oh, very well indeed, very well indeed. It's uh, nice and sunny here in Manchester at the moment, and uh, we've got 100 points and won the league, so... I've been walking around on air for the last uh, the last few weeks at least. Well, here's my first question for you, Walter. Most goals, most points, most away points, most wins, most away wins, most passes, highest goal difference, longest unbeaten run, highest average possession, most consecutive manager of the month awards, biggest gap between first and second, and equaled the earliest one league title. If our season was a chapter in the book, what would be the title of that chapter? Oh, the easiest thing to do is just Centurions, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, that's what it summed up to me. I mean, I started watching the Southampton game and I was watching it like I'd watch any other game. But it's a, it's a case of it seemed to mean that much more. You know, we'd won the league. I mean, it's a dead rubber game. And I'm watching it, and I, when Gabby Jay just scored that goal at the end, I went ballistic. I mean, I was jumping up and down. I was hugging people near me. The family aren't <laughs> even into football, but I made sure they knew I was happy. So I think that, for me, just sort of summed up the season. The most important record is that 100 points. It, no team's got anywhere near that in the past. And I don't think any team's going to get anywhere near that for, for many years. You know, I think we're going to play better football next year. I think we're going to be a better team next year. But I don't think we're going to get 100 points. You know, that was the moment that sort of, it sort of, you know, you had the Invincibles and, you know, other teams. It just gave us that name that's going to resonate through decades to come. You know, the amount of records we broke. I mean, Sky was just like, had all this big list at the time when I was watching it. And they had to, you know, they had to roll the screen over because they couldn't get it all on one. <laughs> so it was just, uh, that was sort of the, the moment it sort of summed up to me how good this team actually is. I think my favourite one was the, um, the biggest gap between first and second. So I was thinking about this and the chapter title for me would be Mind the Gap. And, uh, <laughs> I, I've been a relentless troller of, of Manchester United Twitter accounts. And um, let me just, let me just ask you a few questions. We a, a lot of podcasts have done this. And they're reviewing the season, but I'll just ask you a few questions regarding key moments. So, what would have been your player of the season? Ooh, interesting. I mean, Pep Guardiola. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's, he's the one that sort of has literally gelled this all together, and it's a team, a proper team. You know, with Mendy running down the side of the pitch, you know, or not even running, hopping down the side of a pitch, uh, you know, to celebrate. And it was a real team ethic. So when you're talking about players, it's quite hard to do in many respects. I mean, there was, don't get me wrong, there's some outstanding, uh, consistent performers over the season. You know, Kevin De Bruyne springs to mind straight away. I absolutely love Edison. Uh, oh, yeah. It could be David Silva, you know, with all the personal stuff that was going on. And then he just sort of, he must just say to the missus, look, I'm going back on the plane. Just grab, you can imagine him grabbing his boots, slinging them over his shoulder, mm. just performing like only Silva can do. And then just jumping on the plane back again. Um, Aguero for breaking the record of the most ever goals for Manchester City. Carl Walker, you know, the way he fitted in. Uh, Fabian Delph, you know, this is a guy who's a midfielder who's then asked to fulfil a role. You know, people say, oh, well, you know, he, did, he played that, in, you know, six years ago away at Huddersfield or something. That's a completely different ball game to us playing and trying to be champions of England. You know, it's I can't choose one. That's what I'm trying to tell you because there's so many. It's very difficult. One, one person that stands out to me is uh, Sterling because those last-minute goals 
that dug us out of trouble, what, three, four or five times during the season. And that particular goal, the one where Mendy was chasing him down down the line in celebration, that was an incredible thing. I think Sterling is being reborn, really, under Guardiola, hasn't he? I absolutely. I mean, I love Raheem Sterling. Uh, what it is, is he's so intelligent in the way that he actually finds space on a pitch. And, you know, people say, oh, he was a tapping merchant. But... <laughs> Lineker and Rush made absolute careers out of that, mm. and they're they're known as greats. While you've got Raheem Sterling, you know that that goal. I love the one where he scored right at the end of Bournemouth, and uh, you know I th- we won two one because I remember being sat there in a bar in Tenerife, and this one other person started shouting when Bournemouth scored, and it was a rocket of a goal as well, mm. and it was a United fan. So just to sort of uh, be jumping up and down and, you know, I'm like going off on one when Sterling just scored right at the end. And it was injury, injury, injury time. And I just, what he did was he he gave the team belief that we can't be beaten. And that's a vitally important ingredient again, you know. And the way he's just come on leaps and bounds under Pep Guardiola. But to be fair, every single player, apart from Yaya, and that might be just to do with age or attitude, um, has come on leaps and bounds with Guardiola. You can see it just by watching us play week in, week out, the consistent performers. So you're right about Sterling. Yeah, the, the other the other thing that a lot of people have talked about is what their favourite moment of the season was. And for me, it was just that five final five minutes against United at Old Trafford. You remember when... <laughs> when De Bruyne and yeah, Bernardo yeah. Silva were basically like little matadors. They were playing with Ashley Young and Young was getting more and more frustrated. They were pinging it round him, pinging it off him, sticking it out for a corner and Young and the others were going mental. They were like bumblebees in a jar. Do you remember that? To me, that's not my favourite moment of the season. Uh, it's not even my favourite moment of the match, to be honest. <laughs> my favourite moment of the match has got to be Kyle Walker. But the ball boy's just throwing it to him and he's just nudging it back. And then he's like looking at the referee saying, the guy's not even thrown it to me properly. And this carried on and you could just imagine the ball boy. I'm surprised he didn't just boot it at him, you know, out of pure frustration. He was probably a City fan. But um, as I was saying, it's um, favourite moments of the season. It certainly won't be against United. I think we'll be on that. I think scoring that. My favourite moment was Sterling against Southampton. And then we f- that was right up until the last 10 seconds of the season, my favourite moment. And then it just had to be big Gabby Jesus scoring that goal. <sighs> perfect, perfect way to end a season. But there's a lot in the news at the moment. And um, the first thing is the whole thing with Yaya Toure. I wonder what you made of that, because it was such a wonderful farewell. You know, it was beautiful. We gave him a great send-off. Caldun showed him the beautiful mosaic that they'd made for him. And he gave some lovely speeches. But, I mean, it was like a Shakespearean tragedy. Oh, he was only out the door like five minutes and suddenly all of this. What did you make of what he said about Pep? Well, I mean, I always feel slightly uncomfortable. Um, I mean, it makes me laugh. I remember watching Sunday Supplement Mm. and there was four middle-aged fat white men sat around a table discussing racism and I thought to myself that doesn't overly strike me as a fair and balanced and there's no they've no experience of what other people go through so as white man I, I wouldn't I'd look at the evidence and I could come to conclusions but I wouldn't hold too much weight with what I where I was going with it but I would say yeah yeah I was saying that he doesn't like Africans and then you think to yourself well hang on a minute He's trying to buy a £75 million African at the moment, or that's the way it appears to be in Mares. So then, you know, he said, I mean, I don't know how racist minds work, but would he just not like Africans, but he would like black players, you know, like uh, Jermaine Botang, who he signed up. What made me laugh about the the Jermaine Botang thing was he's got a brother who plays uh, for Ghana, but he plays for Germany. It just seems to be a big a big mess in what he was saying. And I didn't fully understand, you know, he's a racist, but he does, he likes black players, but not African black players. Or, you know, it just, again, it's a situation that made no sense to me, but then I wouldn't want to be 
calling big judgments on it. I'd look at the evidence in front of me and say, well, I don't, I don't, I can't really get what you, where you're coming from. I'd like to sit down with the guy and actually have a chat before making huge judgment on Yaya's character because as a white man, I've not walked a mile in those shoes. So again, it just didn't make any sense to me what he was actually saying, you know, because if you look at the players we've got at Manchester City, the fact that he signed uh, an, another year extension to work with Pep, but he considered him a racist and he didn't like, you know, it, again, it just didn't make any sense to me. So I don't understand where he's coming from and I don't understand what his motivation is really. You know, he talks about he appreciated the fans and I thought, hang on a minute, mate, you know, with your cake and wanting to leave after 2012. And I remember at Blue Moon Rising TV, we uh, we put together a massive big card and hundreds of people signed it and they were waiting out, you know, they got an African band playing and they were waiting outside the, the train, the CFA. And he went out the, a different entrance because he wouldn't entertain that. And I just thought, well, you've not overly respected the fans. You know, you put your performances in, you know, in the pitch from 2014 earlier. But mm-hmm. as a human being, you've not overly respected the fans. So to bring the fans into it now, I just thought it was a bit cheap. Um, again, as I said, I'd like to sit down. I never get the opportunity to, but I'd like to sit down and just see what just question him a little bit and I'm surprised or disappointed that the journalist didn't do that mm. to see make him explore where he was actually going with it and what he was trying to say because Pep Guardiola if you look at our team has got people from all four corners of the world and for me as a football manager you know Pep wants the best players and as I saw nothing that Yaya did this year to see him get more game time the previous season, you could sort of see it after he did his apology. You know, he, he did get score some goals and he brought the play. But Yaya just seemed to slow play down. And at the time, I remember thinking, it's nice because you're going and you're getting this game time. But for the good, good of the club, we should have been playing Phil Foden. Mm-hmm. So, again, I'd like to just sit down and explore what he was trying to say before I pass judgment off on it. Yeah, two people have responded to it. There was, first of all, Kevin De Bruyne, who said that maybe that's what you say when you're frustrated and you're not getting in the team. And then Pep himself came out and finally, after a dignified silence, was quite blunt and saying, these are lies and he knows it. Basically said that he had two years to to tell me anything that he wanted to tell me and he didn't. He didn't say anything to me in all that time. He didn't say it until he he left. And it was such a, a nice departure. I'm sensing the hand of Dimitri Seluk in this somewhere. But uh, <laughs> I can't really see the point of it. Unfortunately, that does drag us into another little bit of uh, shenanigans that also involved uh, allegations of racism. There was this... I woke up one, one morning and I saw... Uh, a leg on Twitter with what looked like a tattoo of Peter Crouch doing the robot dance. And somebody else said it looked like uh, like a, a tattoo of Grace Jones, you know, 1980s fame with the, um, you know, the, the, the flat top haircut. Turns out it was a gun. And uh, this all kicked off for the next uh, week, week and a half, it seemed. What did you make, what did you make of that? Well, what was the discuss? I looked at the tattoo first off and I thought, it's a little bit shit. <laughs> <laughs> if, you're, yeah. if you're a footballer who's getting paid a lot of money, uh, you know, I mean, the thing is, Raheem had his own... He came out and explained it, you know, he wouldn't touch guns, etc., etc. And you look at Piers Morgan, who was one of the worst, you know, it's his, one of the worst criti- critics of Raheem Stiller for getting it done. And he's handled more armoury than... And actually, not, not ink real guns, you know, and he's been seen on shooting ranges and all sorts. It goes beyond that. It goes beyond a disgusting witch hunt that Raheem Sterling, ever since he gave an interview that he wanted to leave Liverpool FC, Mm. ever since then, I've not read a single positive story about Raheem Sterling, you know, and whether this is, I mean, dirty cars or whether it's eating at Greg's or whether it's getting his mum you know, some bath taps or whatever. 
This is a guy who literally can't do right for doing wrong. If he's shopping in Primark, he gets criticised. If he goes out and spends a lot of money on flash jewellery, he gets criticised. Sometimes you just feel that as a young, successful black man in this country, the media have just been out to crucify him. And this is a player, you know, this is a player who's gone because of this sort of witch hunt in the media. And football fans are reading this stuff. He's gone to every single ground in the country. I mean, we're going to places nothing to do with Liverpool. And Raheem Sterling's getting booed. You know, he's, he's a pantomime villain. But I'm sure it can't be nice for him. No matter what he knows, no matter what he does, he's going to get something in the newspapers criticising. I mean, there was a story there that uh, Piers Morgan was sort of commenting on, and it was I don't follow the royal family, but one of the royal family had a toy gum, and he was sort of saying, well, "Yeah, this is because of if you look back yeah. at it, you know, Raheem Sterling, you're thinking it, there's no kind of um, balance to any of these stories." It's just a complete witch hunt on a young, successful black man. And if you look at other players in that team, they don't get any criticism whatsoever. Because let's get this right. Since Raheem Sterling left Liverpool to join what he felt was a more successful club, granted he earned more money, he's won. He's got a load of silverware and he's got a load of medals back at home. Liverpool, from what I can gather and what I can remember, have not won anything so they won the the trophy for beating man city uh three times in a season well this is it you know it's a case of you know how the mighty have fallen you know they they win it every year for beating city because we just don't win at anfield i know it's frustrating and it is frustrating because i went to the champions league game and it was very frustrating but you're looking at uh raheem sterling professionally and no matter what way you cut it and no matter what way you look at it, made the right decision to join Manchester City. He's improved as a player. Mm. He's on more money. He's winning trophies. He's part of a successful unit now that he's an integral part of. So everything he did was for the, was for the right reasons. And the amount of grief that he's took, quite honestly, it, well, it just shows the media for what they are in this country. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. If they go for a witch hunt, for, it doesn't really matter if it's if it's Corbyn or if it's Sterling. You know, they've got to be in the bonnet about someone. They will go out, they will make up lies about people. And once you've made a lie up and you've printed it or you've made a story up with a half-truth in it and you've printed it, well, I'm sorry, you know, people remember the headlines. They don't remember the apology on page 15, six weeks later. Mm. I just think the Red Tops in this country and a lot of other papers, that they're there to be sensationalist, number one, but once they create a narrative, they're there to follow it through, simply just, to, I presume, just to make sales. I thought it was disgusting. Yeah, hopefully there, there, there has been a bit of a backlash uh, about it, even among journalists themselves, so... That might cool it down, and it might it might sort of bring the end of it. But moving on, moving moving <laughs> we hope away, so. We hope mo- so. Moving away from that, just for a second, as we mentioned before, the World Cup is upon us. Did it surprise you that um, Leroy Sane was left out of the German World Cup squad? Because um, there was quite a, there was quite a, a funny comment by some of the guys on the Football Ramble uh, podcast, and uh, their judgment about Leroy being left out was that it was, uh, and I quote, straying into arrogance to leave out Leroy. It's like flexing your muscles and showing that the English player of the season with uh, double figures, goals and assists, yeah, we don't really need him. We're going to choose Julian Brandt I- instead. And what did, what did you think about that? Are you disappointed at not being able to see him flying down the wing for Germany? No, I think it's great. <laughs> He's going to be fresh as a daisy. Yeah, He's yeah, that's, playing... that's a good good side of it. Ah, can you imagine? He's he's literally going to be frothing at the mouth. It's going to be like, well, hopefully it's going to be a sod you. I'm going to show you exactly what I can do next season. And he's going to make himself literally undroppable. I mean, don't get me wrong, he's been fantastic. To be fair, I would have given Sterling the uh, Young Player of the Year. Mm. <laughs> and then he could have had a celebratory breakfast afterwards. You know what I mean? They could have put that in the paper. Mm. But 
I think it's great. It's fantastic for Manchester City that he's not going because we've got so many players going and you you always look at teams that always seem to have a, a bit of a hangover, for want of a better term, the next season. And it takes these players. I mean, look at Fernandinho coming back from the World Cup last time. He was just goosed, you know, for, and that, that lasted, we could argue that lasted for a season. But great news, bad news for Sane. <laughs> the other thing he just said to me is anybody putting the money on England to win the World Cup? Look, if Germany can leave Sane behind, England haven't got a chance. So, oh, yeah. you know, you look, they're my favourites of the World Cup. And ultimately, if they win the World Cup, Yogi Love made the right decision. And it's good news for City. It's bad news, really, for Sane's professional development. And it's bad news, hopefully, for Germany. But Either way, I really don't care as long as he's hungry next year to say sod you and he's got a bit of a chip on his shoulder to really put the that extra sort of intensity into his play and that extra sort of intensity into his training day day in, day out. When he gets back, Pep will just give him a big hug saying, I'd have brought you. Well, moving on to something a little bit more positive after a few negative stories there. Uh, Walter, talk to me about Riyad Mahrez because... Uh, I, I guess for a lot of City fans, they're, they, they obviously they don't follow other teams' players to the same degree that they follow their own. And so I remember one comment on, on Twitter where someone was saying about Riyad Mahrez essentially being Jamie Vardy's assist guy. I, I, that doesn't that doesn't do him justice. I've looked at the I've looked at quite a lot of videos of of Mahrez. What what? What's your feelings about him and what he can bring to to City's team? I think he's gonna. He, you could argue that he's gonna be one of the first, not the first, but one of the one of the first sort of signings that we've we're going to acquire. If we get him. That's top draw. That's been brought in. Uh, that's been from the Premier League. You know, you could argue Tevez, I suppose. But this guy, he's absolute quality and he provides something different as well. And if he can assist Jamie Vardy, and let's get this right, he's 10 times the player Vardy is. You look on any Leicester forums or you look at, you watch Leicester play, and this is a guy who's who's so far above everybody else in that team. Leicester fans must be, well, they must be glad they've kept him for so long, but they must be at the same time gutted that they're going to lose him. You know, this is a guy who's, if you're a fullback and he's running at you, he, he's got tricks in his tricks in his locker. He's got, he can go left, he can go right, and if he's an assist king as well, you know what I mean. He's gonna, he's not providing Jamie Vardy. He's providing Gabby Jesus and uh, Aguero and Sterling as well. Uh, so he's everything that we wanted. Sanchez, you know when we first sort of, sort of, saw Sanchez, mm. and you know a tenacious player who's, I mean, we were sort of looking at him and going in to sign him. Well, I think Mares is a better player. He's younger and he's better suited to our system. So United can pay the big bucks in terms of wages, etc., for Sanchez, and we'll just get the better player. So I'm, if we get him, I'm telling you now, I'm gonna. Lock the door, open mm-hmm. up the bottle of whiskey, mm-hmm. and I'll be going into work with a hangover. So the next, uh, the next guy uh, that we should talk about is the guy that, in many quarters, is known as the metronome, uh, or Napo- Napoli's metronome, uh, Jorginho. This uh, guy that we saw playing against us in the two games that we played against them in the Champions League. What, what are your, what are your thoughts about Jorginho? How excited are you about his imminent arrival? Oh, if we get him, it's, what we've got a lot. I mean, if you go back to those Napoli games, Napoli, I think were the were the best team to get knocked out in the the group stages yeah, of the definitely. of the Champions League. Yeah, and we played them twice, and you know, you look at it and you say two one well, that could have been close. They missed a penalty. It was an Edison save that night, hmm. and you know, and they had other good chances. And in the four two, you could quite easily argue that it was two two. And then we got a goal and they, they pressed everything forward then. And that's allowed us to get, you know, and they were, they were one of the best teams I've ever seen at the Etihad. I know that we won, but they were one of the best teams. And we were in our pomp at that point as well. I remember them p- passing the ball between each other and my head couldn't quite keep up with how quick they were passing. 
it was a blur. Yeah. So we're buying a player from a from a, and hopefully we're getting this player from a, a team that plays the most sort of similar that I've seen of all the teams that we've played to Pep Guardiola. Yeah. So it's a case of uh, tinkering with him and just sort of introducing the the Pep philosophy, but you're not seem to be starting from the ground up with him. Mm-hmm. This is a guy who. He's, what, what he does is he, he brings the, the quick transition. The mm. quick transition, I mean, for all the, the, the absolute beautiful gifts that Fernandinho has given us, he's far quicker in the transition. He's not as good a tackler, mm. but when we're playing teams that are putting men behind the ball and they start bringing it up the pitch a little bit, he offers something slightly different. You're not looking at a player who needs to go to ground, needs to be thinking about the defensive sort of roles. You're talking about a guy who's far back who's going to spring that attack even earlier. And if you're a a defensive team and you see Sarri on one side, Sterling on the other, Aguero and De Bruyne, and you've got this lad at the back who can ping it up to them and start this motion. you know. And if people try to press us out of it, He's an incredibly hard player to press as well. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a guy who's a cool cucumber. You know, he'll receive the ball with players around him. He's not too bothered. He's not. He doesn't get nervous or he doesn't, you know, like he sees a lot of the English players tend to panic a little bit. You can see it in the blood and the bones. You know, I'm surrounded. Why am I getting past the ball? I'm going to get shut down. And that we struggled with slightly against Liverpool. And I'm thinking if we've got a player that can spring that quicker and unlock that question that Klopp poses we've got a good player Would you shed any tears if uh, Zinchenko or, or Patrick Roberts was thrown in to sweeten the deal because apparently that's what's being reported in the media over the last few days No, 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 not at all I mean, if you're looking at Zinchenko Zinchenko, for his own professional development as a football player, needs to go somewhere else now mm. because we're going to have Mendy and we're going to have Delph as the backup. Mm. And then Zinchenko's a third in line, which Danilo can fill. I mean, I'm not saying Danilo's good at it. I'm not saying Zinchenko was great. Well, he was. You know, he, he stepped up to the plate. But what you're looking at for his own professional development, do you want to be third choice left back or do you want to go and join Napoli and. You know, they've obviously got, they've requested him, so they've got ideas about what they want to do with him. You know, it's, I think it's a win-win all round. City are getting rid of, getting a player in by making a part exchange. Napoli getting a player that they actually want. Mm-hmm. And Zinchenko's career should progress, carry on progressing. I'll look out for him because he's always been 100% for City. But, you know, maybe Pep doesn't like Ukrainian players. Yeah. According to uh, Sam Lee from Goal.com, despite these uh, signings that City are going to make, they're still keeping um, uh, the powder dry, as it were, for the possibility of the so-called marquee signing. The the names that have been mentioned have been, of course, Kylian Mbappe. Uh, The latest one just yesterday was Douglas Costa, who Juventus have just bought for £40 from... uh, Bayern Munich. They've actually bought him back and they plan to make a profit on him. Eden Hazard was another one. Where do you stand on City's need for a so-called marquee signing? Of all those players, the one I'd love is Mbappe. Uh, And the reason simply being, I think, by going after Riyad Mahrez, that that sort of covers the, you know, Eden Hazard position. Mm. And as much as we don't want to see the grandfather time clock ticking on, Aguero is he's coming to the twilight of his City career, mm. no matter what way you cut the mustard. And to have Mbappe coming in for a season and then progressing. I mean, I, I can see if we signed him, we'd actually offload Aguero. Mm-hmm. And as sad as that makes me, as sad as that makes me, we're, we're getting one of the world's undoubted sort of uh, truly youth stars in to to fill the boots. And it's going to have to be someone of that kind of quality and that kind of promise and that kind of just stardom to actually to, to replace Aguero. Because we're talking about a guy who's, I'm not saying he's irreplaceable, but you're going to have to dig deep to replace him. 
We're going to have to hope the guys from uh, Financial Fair Prey give give, uh, PSG a good caning such that PSG are left with no alternative. They've got him on on loan. He hasn't actually signed for them. But um, it's looking likely, according to all of the the things that I've read, that um, PSG... They got in. They got they they got in trouble with um, with FFP for the huge signing of Neymar, and then two weeks later they go and they they take a, a Mbappe, and that was like seen to be thumbing their nose at the um, at the establishment, and they are de- determined to get their payback. And we're talking about everything from uh, transfer bans to all kinds of financial penalties that are going to hit them. The question is when these when these uh, penalties come into force, are they going to really be able to keep to a provisional agreement to pay $169 million for Mbappe? To be honest with you, I'm, uh, I look at Paris Saint-Germain and what they did was, you talk about thumbing the noses, they thumbed the noses of one of the, one of the Spanish giants mm. and they've got a lot of clout. You know, they're thumbing the noses and just to bring in Neymar and they saw Neymar as the, their sort of future. And to, for them to turn round and, I mean, they, they've promised, I don't even know what they promised him because, you know, he has days off because his sister's birthday, some games yeah. he doesn't play in. He's, he's, he's turned there into literally the ultimate man-child. And for that to sort of happen, to leave the sort of stardom of Barcelona... That's poking a finger in the eye of maybe one too many people. Mm. And that's why the establishment might go out for blood with them. You know, I remember it really sort of did my head in is we got the same, we were put in the same boat as Paris Saint-Germain for breaking financial fair play when we were working with UA for the whole time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, we, and then it just happened that they changed a couple of rulings which scuppered us. And what happened then with Paris Saint-Germain, they just went sad it, you know, and just brought in all these good players. But we were both sort of hamstrung the same. And it's, I suppose we give you away for a slight slap and they give you away for a punch and we still got the same kind of sentence. Right. Well, we were were talking about Mbappe, probably the best teenager in the world. We've got a couple of teenagers of our own in uh, Brahim and uh, Phil Foden. Would you expect to see that they would have a greater role with this upcoming season? Well, there was talk about David Silva, wasn't there? Sort of taking a reduced sort of timetable, as it were. Mm. Um, just uh, and that's going to suit Foden down to the ground. I think we forget about these two is they're so young. Mm. You know, a lot of players don't get breakthrough properly until they're 22, 23. And you're talking Foden. You know, he was taking his GCSEs not so long ago. So he's overextended his sort of potential almost. You know, in some respects, if I was the England manager, I'd have had a look at Foden and bring him into the World Cup for the experience. Yeah. Because if he's if he's if he's good enough to get you know to be sniffing around the City team, why not bring him? Because he's going to be an England mainstay for years. And have a close up look at him and see what you think as well. I mean, I'm. Again, I'm not bothered if he doesn't go, um, just simply because I'd like Pep just to carry on working with him. Uh, Brahim Diaz, I've, I've, I've not been as impressed. I've been impressed, but not as impressed. He's still looking at someone who's learning the trade very much. And I, don't, I can't see his star shining as much as Foden's will next year. But ultimately, you're talking to play for Manchester City now you have to be just absolute top draw. We can't be expecting youth players to come in sort of willy-nilly and working their way through to the system. Whether we adopt a Chelsea system where we ended up farming them out and loaning them out and then selling them, I have no idea. That's for the powers that be to go and figure. You know, when it all puts money into the coffers. You know, it's a fantastic youth setup there. But what I would say is, are they going to pay a bigger role? I'd like them to see just slightly bigger. Just keep on going, you know. Offer them the carrot. Offer them the carrot so that they may they may, they they keep hungry and they keep producing. And let's see if we can get you know a world class player out of the pair of them. Let's talk about a few potential outgoings. 
there's a situation that I'm worried about. You know, it's it's perfectly possible. Ederson, in the first game, gets an injury. He's out for six months. We've got Bravo. Pep is happy to have Bravo as potentially the goal, the main goalkeeper for most of the season should... I mean, this doesn't sound like good risk management to me. What what do you think about this? I think the defence was so good, but I mean, it, the team played so well and it was... It all started with Edison, you know, and it was about him, whether it was that long ball, but he also eased... You could see the defenders were comfortable with him and they passed the ball, not for the sake of passing it. You see them sometimes passing it. They're not passing it to get the ball from one place to another. They're passing it to actually get the opposition to move. And what's going on here with Edison, he starts that off. As I said before, I, I love the guy. I think he's a, just a freak of nature. You know, with that, 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 that sort of kicking, that passing range, that ability to, you know, when he will get caught out, but that ability to be so cool under pressure. If Edison got injured... Oh man, I would be gutted. There's no lie, you know, I'd just be gutted. But, I mean, I've not seen a great deal of Angus Gunn. There's talk of him, wasn't there, at Norwich? Yeah. So, again, I don't know if he's good with his feet. I know I've read reviews and he gets rave reviews for being a goalkeeper. But we don't play just a goalkeeper uh, in terms of, someone was saying to me about who's better, uh, Edison or De Gea. And I'd say, look, De Gea may be a better keeper, but I wouldn't want him at my club. And people mm. look, oh, you'd want the best keeper. Well, no, I'd like somebody who plays in this system and suits this system mm-hmm. and works well with the system. So, I, again, I wouldn't like to overly comment on Angus Gunn. The other thing, of course, that, um, that emerged in the news recently is that um, Vinny's gone down again. He's got a groin injury and... There's been a lot of uh, reports linking uh, City to uh, a youngster, I think, at P- PSV or Ajax. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, a guy Ajax, with the name yeah. of De- Deligat, 18-year-old, blonde bombshell, future of central defending in Europe. Do- we don't really need defensive mid-central defensive cover, do we? Yeah. Um, I... If you've got an opportunity to go and buy one of the best, as a club, you need to go and buy one of the best. You know, it's to talk of 50 million quid. And if you can go out and pay that, City can do... I mean, the beauty of City is they can do that as a gamble. Most clubs can't. Mm. But if you bring someone in and it doesn't quite work out, well, case sera, you know, and that's if you're looking at Mangala or... I mean, there's a whole raft of central defenders that we've brought down the years, which we've never just seemed to cement down the positions. Um, I mean, Vinny, again, Vinny, if he, I think this will be Vinny's last season. And it was, it was that's, you talk about highlights. That was one of my highlights was the Vinny of old. Yeah. Sort of, he, he came to the surface. And I love the fact that him and, you know, Stones and... Bernardo and uh, Delph and Walker all went down to a boozer, you know, in Altrincham. Yeah. And got and got pissed. <laughs> Which I just thought, but can you imagine a bit of fan there? And that sort of, there's a United fan at my work and he was there and they all went out and got pissed. He went, I'd love it if our players did that. And I'm thinking, you know, it's, it's, it's in its old school. It's like sort of giving back to the fans a little bit, you know, and almost showing, look, us footballers, we're human as well. And we appreciate, this is our way of sort of, saying brilliant, you know, we are in this together. And I think that was very much down to Vinny. Do we need central... Let's say, I mean, I'm no doctor, so let's go and... Let's see how Vinny gets on. Mm. You know what mm. I mean? Mm-hmm. And he, he was fantastic last season. And we can plan for the future without him, maybe at the end of next year. But if you've got, a, if you've got one chance to go and buy this guy, go and buy this guy. OK, well, I, I think... the. the Possibly a, a one way to, to sort of wrap up this um, this first episode of the Boat from the Blue podcast is maybe just to have a, a little word about our potential threats uh, next season. Obviously, there's the team from just outside Manchester. There's Liverpool. Who do you see as as, as threatening us next season, if anyone? Are you worried? Are you worried by United buying Fred? Are you worried by Liverpool 
buying Fabinho and going after Nabil Fekir, does any of this stuff give you concerns? No. No. <laughs> it's just absolutely word. no. Well, no, in a word, no. You know, I think Fabinho's a great signing for Liverpool, by the way. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and then I look at what made me laugh is someone was talking about Fred by playing for United, and he'd be able to release Pogba. And I thought, well, hang on a minute, that's <laughs> like buying a, an iPhone for ninety million, and then having to buy a Matic lead and a Fred lead to actually make this thing work. Mm-hmm. You know, the guy's got more sort of excuses, you know, he's, he's a good player, he's a great player, would he suit our system? No, but I'm not overly worried about United, United have got a lot more issues than just buying in a defensive, sort of uh, another defensive cover for Carrick, who they didn't really use anyway, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, them fullbacks need replacing, and, you know, they've uh, addressed one of them, but, you know, that left back, Ashley Young, I hope he starts next season, mm-hmm. you know, uh, They've got a lot of great individuals at United, but what they've not got is a harmony. They've not, they don't seem to be coached correctly. They're not being let off the leash. They're almost sort of constrained by this system that Mourinho just seems to absolutely enforce with an iron, you know, with an iron bar sometimes. Mm. But Liverpool, again, that's a great signing. I think they're, I think you're looking at, but then again, Chelsea, you don't know who they're going to bring in. Mm-hmm. And you don't you don't even know if Roman Abramovich is going to be there. Absolutely, he so can't get back in the country. Well, he can't, and you know it's you've got all these sort of factors, and then you look at City, and it's just ticking now. You know, it's just ticking along, and if we get these two players in, maybe go after a, a, a third. You know, whether it's the defender or whether it's a backup goalkeeper or whether it's let's just all go balls to the wall and go and get Mbappe. You're looking at 19-point gap, and the gap was even far bigger to Liverpool. So they've got a lot of making up to do. And you look at Pep's recent history when he was at Bayern Munich. Once he, you know, he won the league, and he managed to motivate the players to do it again and to do it again. And you could hear them talking at City. It was Carl Walker, whoever, Kevin De Bruyne. Yeah, we've done it. Now let's do it again. And that's what all great teams, and when I say great, truly great teams do, they literally win the trophy, it's in the cupboard, I've celebrated, I've gone down to all of them on the piss, now I'm going to move on to the next one. Mm-hmm. And if you want evidence of City being motivated, we had five or six dead rubbers at the end of that season, mm-hmm. and every we won pretty much every single one of them and got that 100 points. So motivation to do well doesn't seem to be a big factor for me. Yeah, just on the subject of Liverpool, I suppose um, we shouldn't finish without mentioning the news that came in, uh, the penalty imposed by UEFA on Liverpool for bricking our bus. 20,000 euros, and also uh, there was a two-match ban for Pep uh, because of his uh, reaction uh, to what was going on on the field at half-time. 20,000 euros... Uh, Ian Cheeseman, I think, put up a list of all of the charges against Liverpool. Uh, there, there were half a dozen of them, pretty serious. What's going on with that? Well, I'd say they did over. I'd say, I mean, I'm no mechanical expert, but I reckon it would cost over twenty grand to get that bus fixed. Yeah. Yeah, and then also on top of what, what annoyed me most about this is Merseyside police were absolutely complicit with what was going on. Mm-hmm. When you saw the Napoli fans coming up, you, they were stood. Liverpool fans were stood on the top of police vehicles. And I'm thinking, this is just absolutely outrageous. And for me, what what it also did was, they got away with it with City, then they tried it with the Napoli fans, and the Napoli, or Napoli, and the Napoli fans don't already know what's going on. They think it's... And someone's ended up getting absolutely seriously hurt. Mm. And I... I and, you know, nothing against that guy. I hope he gets a full recovery and continues to go to Anfield for many years. But who who set that situation up for that kind of... And luckily he wasn't killed, but who set that whole situation up? I'm thinking Merseyside Police have got a lot of questions to do. And I think GMP and the MEN should be hounding them about what's gone on because they listed out literally which route the City bus was going to take that night 
and they all what the times of the actual bus that was going to be there. It just for me, and then finding them twenty thousand pounds. What is the motivation not to do that again? There's none, absolutely none. And so, if there's no motivation not to do it, what's going to happen if we next time we play there, if it's a big night like that, mm. they're going to do exactly the same. So, did you take a a certain cruel, sadistic pleasure when they were uh, dumped out of the um, the Champions League final? Is uh, is Sergio Ramos your new hero? Well, what made me laugh is uh, I was laughing. <laughs> I've got a mate of mine, and he's uh, he's he's from Liverpool. He's from Bootle. I work with him, and he's a uh, absolute staunch Evertonian. So that was the first person I rang, <laughs> and he was he was he was loving it. I mean, I rang him actually after we played Anfield because I parked near Goodison that night, and I rang him up, and I was stuck in a car park for an hour, and he made me feel a lot better because as much as I dislike what went on and the sort of the whole myth mythology about that goes on around Liverpool. He hates it. He makes me look like a, an absolute amateur when it comes to, <laughs> to the, 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 the vile, not just the vile feelings that he has towards Liverpool. So I just rang him up and he cheered me right up. So uh, that's when, and he's a big Madrid fan because he used to live in Spain for a few years, a scouser oh in Spain. But um, they do make it delicious, don't you? I mean, the Liverpool fans, they they make it delicious when they're defeated, when they they basically buy T-shirts celebrating their sixth European title. They have a bus with the six uh, trophies on the back of it. It's uh, they really haven't learned the lesson about not counting your chickens. We'll never be guilty of that because... We've had it snatched away from us for you know so many times, but they really are specialists in that in that regard, aren't they? Well, the classic one I always remember was, I mean, we, Liverpool and City really didn't have that much to do with each other for years. But in the 2014, the Stevie G slip, I actually jumped that <laughs> night and pulled me back. I jumped up when he slipped, and uh, I jumped up like a young spring chicken, like an 18-year-old, mm-hmm. and I. Uh, Something cracked in me back, and I literally landed like an OAP, but I didn't care <laughs> one jot. Uh, but I go back to the 2014 season. I mean, I remember watching the game at Anfield in a pub in Devon, and they're not only bad losers, the worst winners. Yeah, there was yeah, nothing yeah. gracious about them, and they actually had the T-shirts made up just after that 2014 mm. Premier League champions. Yeah. And, they always uh, do this. They always do this. But uh, you think they'd learn, you know, they'd learn somehow, you know. I mean, I don't know. I mean, what we're doing is we're sort of uh, tar brushing a whole fan base, which I don't like to do because there's many decent Liverpool fans out there. But as a fan base collective, sometimes you got. I remember when we won the league that year, uh, we didn't start singing any songs until the last few minutes. You know, like we're going to win the league. I think it was West Ham we beat at home and it was literally the 85th minute and you could hear one person like, we're going to win. And it's like, oh God, should we be singing this? Should we be singing it? You know, anything can happen. (laughs) Uh, But all the results were sort of going in our favour and, you know, 89th minute, you know, you could feel the sort of crap, we're going to win. Why they do it early? Why they count all these chickens? It just seems to be entitlement. That's the word I'm looking for. Just a sense of entitlement. Has it amused you that um, the cynics among us are saying that Liverpool are actually trying to bleach Loris Karius's reputation by saying that he was actually concussed at the time when he threw in those two goals? Well, uh, to be honest with you, I couldn't give a toss. Oh. But I remember he went to a hospital in America to get um, this scandal to say he was um, concussed. Now, this hospital was in Massachusetts, Mm-hmm. which is where the Liverpool owners are from. Mm-hmm. Who is the chair on the board of this hospital? <laughs> it's J.W. Henry. Yeah. And you're thinking, has no one just connected these dots up? Of, hang on a minute, this is a guy who's gone to a hospital owned by Liverpool FC, basically, and he's there saying, oh, yeah, he's a bit concussed. I mean, I felt for the guy, you know. And 
I tell you what, some of the vile, absolute vile uh, tweets and messages left to... From their own fans, though, from their own fans. Exactly. Well, that's it. You know, and that was disgusting. And I was reading it, I just thought, well, what are you trying to do here, you know? He's not done anything on purpose. He's not gone out... The person that was most gutted about that, really, at the end of the day, is him. And to have this absolute just torrent of just vile, vile abuse. You'll never walk alone, eh? Well, it just makes you, you know, it makes you feel a little, just a little bit sadder about the future of the human race when you read stuff like that. I've got to tell you this. There was one um, funny thing that I read on the Internet. It was a it was a, a report from a fake Twitter account. And it's and it said latest news. Nabil Fekir, who Liverpool have been um, chasing in the in the transfer market, has revealed that he was concussed when he was approached to sign for Liverpool. Now that he's regained his consciousness, he's decided to stay at Lyon. So this is the... Well, it's, it's a dig, isn't it? I mean, that's, I, I don't mind... Good football nature banter is half of the fun of following football. But when you come down to... Vi- I mean, vile abuse. Mm. It's, I, I didn't comment on it. I just literally folded the laptop down and thought, oh, I'm not even... It's, you can't engage with people like that. Well, enough Liverpool talk. Enough Liverpool talk. Well, listen, for a first episode, I think we did uh, pretty well. Um, I think we should probably uh, wrap it up here and um, and just say to everybody out there, our two, three or four listeners, <laughs> if we get that many, uh, thank you very much for uh, listening. I've been uh, Mike Long at Bolt from the Blue. Uh, Walter, I believe your Twitter handle is at Madden City Smith. That's so, me. Uh, I think that um, we would, uh, if you have any comments, any uh, any things that you'd like us to discuss in the pod, we're going to try to do this every week. Then we'd be happy to take them. So uh, I guess we'll finish up here and just say up the blues. 